Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Today is episode number 144 of the Malthouse Games Podcast. We are a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, dice games, things of that sort, as well as beer, usually. And tonight we are having beer. The last couple of episodes or three episodes, we've been having a lot of coffee. We've been doing this at the last minute, a.k.a. Sunday morning at three hours before it comes out. And tonight it almost became that way again. It is 10.01 p.m. Saturday night, the night before this podcast episode comes out. But you know what? We're here. We're here. We're tired. We have beer. (laughs) Get used to it. What do you have today, Delty Poo? So, sticking with the trend of the recent... Uh, most recent episodes. I am having another Athletic Brewing Co. non-alcoholic oh beer, and oh Haley's God. getting beer on the floor. Oh, shit. I love that you continue opening it instead of putting a glass under it. Okay, pause. <laughs> you know. I was just thinking before this podcast. Man, my tummy is full. I had a lot of tacos tonight for dinner. I don't know if I could drink a whole beer. And the monkey's paw curled. I have about half my beer left. That's more than half. But uh, n- but the other percent of it went in straight to the floor. Straight to the bamboo. Haley decided, I'm going to open this beer. <laughs> and it started foaming. So she said, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and keep opening it. And as she kept opening it, it kept foaming more and more extremely and spraying. <laughs> and then she didn't grab the glass to cover it. She didn't do anything. It's just let it drip in the floor on the bamboo. In my defense, so did you. You're just like, what are you doing? Well, what do I do if I stand here and I try to just suddenly get my hands underneath it and then hold the foam? And hand me the glass. You could have grabbed it. Could have stopped opening the beer. Giving me moral and emotional support in my struggles. So, moral of the story here is don't let Haley open a beer. Or actually, here's the real moral stop buying the dollar beers at our local liquor store because everyone we buy from there (laughs) is always overcarbed or has some issue that's true well so we went to the liquor store a couple weeks ago to get some beer for the podcast and i was like man i don't really want to drink a we haven't been drinking as much don't we really drink a lot anyway we haven't really been drinking as much i was like i don't want a full six pack i just want to get a single and they have this little bucket of like random obscure singles and you're like probably one of the cans exploded in the five pack and they put the rest in like the singles thing and so I got one of these singles for a dollar nineteen, and I got my money's worth because I got about a dollar nineteen worth of beer left. Yes. Anyway, back to regular scheduled programming here. I'm drinking an <laughs> Athletic Brewing Co. Run Wild IPA. As I said, it is a non-alcoholic brew. Uh, they are all vegan, so less than 0.5 percent alcohol by volume. Near, uh, let me see. This says near beer contains less. That's near beer. Oh. I guess this is near beer. I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that's that. Uh, so it's an IPA from Athletic Brewing Co. It's got a nice amber color to it. It's got a nice hoppiness to it. There's some crispness in the carbonation. It's pretty standard IPA, but it's pretty good. I would like to try this IPA. I like the Athletic Brewing Co. stuff. For a non-alcoholic beer, they knock it out of the park, I feel like, compared to everybody else. That's an IPA, baby. You know what else is an IPA? What you're drinking? What I'm drinking. I have the Coop Aleworks Ice Chest 99 Calorie IPA. Floating down the river just got lighter. This 99 calorie IPA drinks as easy as an afternoon in an inner tube. Full flavored and smooth, it's a thirst quencher that still delivers a punch of juicy hops. All you need to pack is the ice chest. That's pretty clever. 10 out of 10. We'll see if it tastes that way. It's got like a pale yellow. Hazy. Yes, it just, it looks like pee. It looks like hazy pee. It looks like hazy pee. It looks like you have a cold or the flu. Sure. Yeah. It smells really good, though. It does not smell like pee. I really hope it doesn't <laughs> smell like pee. No, it smells like a standard, really light IPA. It, it doesn't smell like an IPA that uses citra hops. It smells like a just very, I hope not watery down IPA because it kind of smells just like a very light one. Uh, it's a 4.3% alcohol by volume with an IBU of 30 and an SRM of 2. That's a really refreshing IPA. Really? Yes. 
So I feel like a lot of IPAs, whenever you drink them, they have a bitter aftertaste. And whether or not they're actually doing so, they make your mouth feel dry. They make you feel, I almost feel dehydrated after I drink an IPA sometimes. That one tastes like a hydrating IPA, which is strange to say. I think it's because it is a thin IPA. I think it is. It almost does taste watered down. It does kind of taste watered down. I mean, it's it's pretty good. And um, yeah. this is what the IPA that you would want to drink in an inner tube. Yes, if you're, out, river. if you're out floating on the river in the sun, that will keep you hydrated more so than a standard beer because it's more percentage water. <laughs> it's only 4.3% alcohol by volume, which is yeah. fairly low for an IPA. Yep. Yeah, that, no, that's not bad, though. I mean, it's definitely a, like, middle of summer beer. Yes. I would, I can definitely, like I said, see drinking this in the inner tube. Unlike that one time we tried to drink F5. Yeah. That was rough. Yeah, always. <laughs> Always. But yes, so there's our beers and our w- weird spill mishap. I'm looking at the timeline here as we record, and I have no clue where we're at because there was a good five minutes or so there uh, that was just me trying to clean up beer off the ground. And Penny breaking into the recording room. Where she's not supposed to be here in the computer room. Uh, but anyway, so yes, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, what have we done the past two weeks? Last episode was a week after Steve? It was the week that Steve passed away was last episode. Okay, so we're Two weeks past that. I have had a very full and wonky two weeks. Yes. Oh my gosh. First of all, I had my annual conference at work, the Summer Super Summit. Went spectacularly. We had about a 30% increase in attendees. All of our presenters showed up on time. We got all of our ducks in a row. It was a grand old time. We had chair massages. We had Darth Vader come. It was probably the most fun mental health conference, if you can call a mental health conference fun. It was a lot of fun. So I spent the next week, so we recorded on Sunday, the next week, uh, most of my week was filled with running the uh, conference, with coordinating with speakers, with cramming all my clients for the week into two and a half days. And then last week, I did a whole bunch of cool stuff that I can't tell you about. You can say part of it. I can say part of it, but I've signed a a non-disclosure agreement the size of my house every day that I've been involved in this project, but I was cast as an extra in a major motion film, and I cannot wait to tell everyone what I've been up to, what I've seen, what I've experienced, what I've done, who I've met after July of 2024. All the way to next year. All the way to next year, because I don't want Universal Studios to sue my pants off. Yeah, so I pulled up Facebook uh, to go to Marketplace, and one of the local news stations, I think they mentioned the movie, but I don't know, so I won't say. It'll be easy to figure out for people, but they had a thing saying that this uh, that they were looking for extras for this filming here in Oklahoma. We were like, okay, cool. And I told Haley, hey, we should do this. It'd be sweet, but I don't have a vacation time because we have... Our Alaskan cruise with Haley's sister in July for six business days. We're going uh, back to Portland to see Nick and Jennifer, which is, I'm so excited to do that because it's like a highlight of, of every year. But uh, doing that, we'll be gone for six business days. And then we have BGG Con in November for three business days. And then we're going to have another probably six business days in the spring next year for Hawaii with Haley's sister. And then we basically will just have BGG in that November and then Japan the next year in the spring for probably 10 business days, if not a few more. So I don't have the vacation time. I'm already at this point, technically, I've requested enough based on what I've earned that I'm negative almost a week. By the time we get to the vacations, I will have built up enough to cover everything. And by the time November finishes, I will be positive and have more vacation time. But I don't have time I can just take off to be an extra in a movie. And I make my own schedule, which means that this week I have clocked, I I did the math earlier this week, and I've clocked about 55 hours of work this week. But it was worth it because I crammed all my clients into two days, saw everybody, and then spent the other three days on site filming. And I have six more days left to film between now and the end of July. I am very excited for this adventure. If you ever get the chance to be an extra, uh, especially for a big picture like this, highly recommend it. It is so much fun. Literally, all I did was send in my height and a picture of myself and my name, and I got the part. So it is not like I had to audition or do anything like that, and I showed up in like 
two thirds of the other extras are like actors with agents and all that jazz. And like a third of us are just like some dudes. Yeah. And so just go do it. It is so much fun. I will tell you more about it probably on episode 100 or 252 or something like that. Whenever we meet again next year in July. We only do 26 episodes a year. Oh, so you guys only have to wait like 30 episodes and then you'll hear all about my adventures. But to be continued, fantastic week. Just can't talk about it. I'm super jealous about it. Uh, I'd love to do it. But like I said, just I can't I can't take off. Aside from that, it's been uh, I feel like a pretty uneventful week aside from that. Uh, I know I'd like to talk about the video games I've been playing. I played through all of the Uncharted games, finished those out. Highly recommend at least the fourth game. If you don't want to play very antiquated mechanical games, the first one just feels old. Second one was better. Third one was better. Fourth one is fantastic. Uh, Fourth one, I think, beats all the rest in every way. But those were great, and I have moved into playing Ghost of Tsushima, uh, the PS5 kind of scaled up change one where basically you get 60 frames locked in for that game. Uh, that's been absolutely fantastic. I'm, I think I broke 40 hours today and I'm only about a third into the game, I think maybe, uh, but I'm going to try to hundred percent this one. I think it's one of those games that I could spend enough time and do that happily and successfully. So I've been playing Ghost of Tsushima, having a great time with that. Aside from that, we really haven't done a whole lot. I've entered my Dale Gribble era. You have entered your Dale Gribble era, you and you. I want to take a ham radio class. Yeah, I am so excited. Basically, my 30s become my Dale Gribble era because I am halfway through my Skywarn certification to be a National Weather Service storm spotter. I also am signing up for a ham radio uh, course to get my certification as an amateur radio operator. And I am enrolled in a wilderness first res- er, wilderness first aid course with my sister here in a couple of months. So I am ready to just be Dale Gribble. It's going to be great. For those who don't know, Dale Gribble, I should pro- we should probably think about this as a clarifying thing. I, I don't know what year that show ended. <laughs> like 2010, I think. Uh, Dale Gribble is a character from King of the Hill, which is a fantastic cartoon that went from, what, sometime in the late 90s? Late 90s to like 2010. It was like 15 seasons or something. I've watched all of them front to back. It's been decades, or decade at least. But anyway, um, yes, King of the Hill. It's all about some guys who live in Texas, families that live in Texas. One of the neighbors is Dale, and Dale Gribble is the conspiracy theory, aliens, governments watching me. He carries around pocket sand as a defense mechanism. He's got some secret bunker and all that kind of stuff. Yes, he like is very much conspiracy theorist, but also a survivalist and also batshit crazy. And I decided to embody him as my 30s. It's been pretty great so far. I would recommend 10 out of 10. He's the person that has constantly has a bug out bag. And if you know what a bug out bag is, essentially is if shit hits the fan, the government's failing, the world's falling apart, power goes out, nuclear war. It's a bag that you grab that has all your survival gear as well as food and everything for you to be able to survive for like three days. And it's always in one place and it's always ready to go. And that's your bug out bag. You're like, this is my survival bag. I take it and I'm good to go for so long. And that's Dale Gribble. Yes. And so maybe by the end of my 30s, when I get to 40, I'll be at his level. But that's what I'm working on right now. It's been great. So the last two weeks have been very full, very weird, very awesome, and giving us lots to look forward to. And very emotional. And very emotional. (laughs) All of it. But yes, we have lots to look forward to. Lots of things to do and going on all over the place, but you're not here for that. You're here for the games. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. Ahoy, matey. The game for today with that, Haley, is (laughs) Ahoy. Spoiler alert. Yeah, super spoiler alert. Ahoy is published by Later Games. The game design is by Greg Loring Albright. Development lead is Nick Brockman. Illustration is Kyle Farron. Rules and usability is Joshua Yearsley. Graphic design, Nick Brockman and Patty Hewn. Copy editing, Amanda Valentine and Karina Bissette. 3D render, Corey DeVore. And a bunch of development and play testers. So Ahoy uh, is a asymmetrical kind of game, or at least there is some asymmetry within the game. 
it is a game for two to four players. Now, we have only played the two-player version of this game. I think that this game, for me, is going to be the best at two. I really do. Because it feels like a game that was designed for two and then modified to work with four. Because in this game, the main two players of the game are going to be two separate factions. They're either the Bluefin Squadron or the Mollusk Union. This is a game all about basically pirates, but the pirates are like anthropomorphized animals and weird people. Uh, If you know Kyle Farron's art, he does all the art, I think, for later. He did the art for Root. He did the art for Fort. He does this. And there's some other, I think there's some other projects he's done, but you'll recognize his very like cute and quirky artwork. But in the game, like I said, the two players are Bluefin Squadron and Mollusk Union. The Bluefin Squadron are essentially trying to maintain control. It is a area control game where there are tiles that come out on the board. Those tiles have four spaces and a dice in the middle. Uh, that single die is going to be just on the value of one. And in a two-player game, that value will change throughout the game by only going up, I should say, on most of them. If not all, I guess. I don't know if they'll ever go down, but it looks like they only go up. It is an area control game, though. The Bluefin Squadron have the ability to... uh, Their main flagship that you move around is worth two control points. So you could have two versus your opponent's ship is one. Therefore, you would win control in that region because you have two. It's higher than one. Their little shark people they put out can move around. They can attack. They can explore. They can provide control. So essentially, you can outnumber your opponent or at least maneuver better than your opponent. That's essentially what the Bluefin Squadron does. The Mollusk Union, which is what Haley played, the Mollusk Union is a little different in that the Mollusk Union has uh, comrades that they basically pop up on the different islands across the board. Those comrades provide, provide a lot of control, but they are limited to staying on the island unless Haley can move them around to other islands. But for the most part, you're going to be building up comrades and placing them on islands. So she can still control things, but they're a lot harder to move different places, and they're only worth one apiece, so she's forced to stack them for high values. I bet you can't guess why I picked the Mollusk Union. The comrades. Comrades. We're Shark Boy and Mollusk Girl. Essentially, yes. So the way the game's going to work is there are so many of those tiles out on the board. Each one, like I said, has a die in the middle showing the value of one. Each of those tiles has four spaces. In the beginning, there are two tiles. And then as you move off the board, off of those, you know, any of the spaces, you can add a new tile to that board. And you'll be able to move around, attack your opponent. Uh, There are certain abilities like Tailwind where you're going to be able to move across the entire map if you want to, depending on the values and everything. But there's all kinds of stuff like that. So it's pretty simple area control, putting people down, moving people around, moving yourself around, things like that. But... The way the game actually is going to function within those turns is that you are rolling dice and placing those dice on your player board to take the action. So when you place the dice on the player board, the dice are standard D6s, not valued one through six. If you roll one and you put a value one dice on sale, you're going to move one to two spaces. And then when you finish moving, depending on if you are Mollusk Union or Bluefin Squadron, you're going to be able to do something. Usually it's placing a person down. Now, the value 1 versus the value 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 on sale, they all have the same outcome. That's the value. They're not all that way, though. There are a couple different actions that, depending on the value, is either you can only do it if the value is right. So the Bluefin Squadron has a thing called Bombard. It, there's one single action space for it, so every round you can do it once. And what it does is it takes a value 4 dice, exactly, value 4 die, And when you place that die on there, you can do the bombard action, which removes all comrades from the island on the tile where your flagship is. And it's a really strong ability, but you can only do it once. But you must have a four. Dice value can be adjusted by spending a gold up or down, but sixes cannot turn to ones and ones cannot turn to sixes. Everything else is fine. So you'll be taking your uh, dice, placing them on your player board, and going back and forth doing that for your turns. On your turn, you'll actually place two. So if you're Bluefin Squadron taking the first turn, you'll place two, then the Mollusk Union will place two, and then you'll place two, the Mollusk Union will place two, and then the Bluefin Squadron actually has a fifth die. The Mollusk Union has four, Bluefin Squadron has five. So the Bluefin Squadron always gets one extra action every single round. But after you place people, move around, 
get in combat with your opponent where you have to have, you know, I guess you, uh, one of you has to have cannons, a value for your cannons, which is either for Bluefin Squadron, it's either a five or six on uh, whatever dice are placed there. For the Mollusk Union, they can have one single dice there, uh, and that die can be any value. You can lower those to basically up your attack. That's essentially going to be the whole game. You're going to be placing these dice, moving stuff around on the board, trying to maintain control, or trying to uh, just uh, reinforce a region to uh, hold control longer. There are different spaces, depending on where you stop, and uh, which is called anchoring, if it's your flagship. Anywhere your flagship stops, it anchors. Uh, depending on where you anchor, you can either gain coins. There's certain space if you move through, you take damage. Some spaces, when you do... Uh, when you land on it, you can repair damage. In combat or moving through the damaging spaces, the way damage works is you take a token and it blocks a dice spot on your player board. And I really liked that as a mechanic because if you're moving through one of the wreckage spots and it gives you damage, you pick where it goes. But if I get in a fight with Haley with my flagship or whatever, and she does damage to my flagship, she gets to pick where that damage goes. So she can say, you know that bombard, uh, bombard action that is so good at getting rid of my comrades? I'm going to block it. So then I have to take an action to repair my ship to open that spot back up. And you uh, repair actually repairs two actions. Repair is the only slot that cannot be damaged. Otherwise, it would block people out of the game and be douchey. But that's really the entire game. It's moving around, maintaining control. At the end of a round, you add up points based on what you control, do some stuff, and then move on from there. Everything else is going to be slightly asymmetric. The Bluefin Squadron has actions that they only they get. The Mollusk Union has cards they can play as free actions. So even though the Bluefin Squadron has an extra die to be able to use, the Mollusk Union has cards that are free actions, or diceless actions, I should say. That's going to be the two-player game. You play back and forth, trying to maintain control, approaching all that stuff, uh, and that's, that's what you do until... Uh, somebody gets to 30 points. Now, if you play with three or four players, you add in a smuggler or two. The smugglers are what the third or fourth player are going to be playing, and they play a completely different game. Simultaneously on the board. Yes, everybody's playing on the same board and everything. Same, and, you know, uh, pieces can interact and be around each other. But the smugglers, their entire job, they're playing a pickup and deliver game. They're trying to go across the board smuggle some cargo, and then deliver it. And depending on where, it, uh, I guess not depending on where it's delivered, when it's delivered, you get uh, basically points. You're going to get uh, like some money or something. You're going to gain rewards, all that kind of stuff. And that's going to be how you win and how you get points. So you're actually playing a completely different game. And I think that's why this game is built for two. It has two factions that have strong uh, features, strong actions, strong, unique mechanics to themselves. They interact well. They're obviously made to compete with each other. And then the smugglers are just, they just kind of feel like, an, without having played with them, they just feel like an add-on, if that makes sense. I am curious to see how that logistically would play out with more players. You know, one, because I feel like that would take up more of the board. And two, just seeing how their goals might interact with our goals. I've uh, watched some other reviews of this game when I got it because I was going to get it. I backed it. I think it was a Kickstarter and I backed it for sure and was like, this is cool. And maybe I backed it. I don't know. I don't remember how I got it. But anyway, you stole it. Something that no, something that people were saying was that they felt like the smugglers just did not care about what the other people are doing. And the other people don't have to care about what the smugglers are doing. They're focused on their own game. So I am also interested to see how it interacts if at all or if it's just happening in the same space we'll have to bust this out when we play with brian and jessica yeah we'll have to bust it out and see how that goes uh but yeah so the game's really interesting i think uh something that i told Haley, i like that it's definitely focused where you each have something to sort of squash your opponent's stuff Haley. Uh, or sorry, me as the Bluefin Squadron, I have that bombard action where the entire action is I'm getting rid of these stupid comrades that you keep putting out on the board because they're annoying. That's just a great thing. It just makes it nice and easy for me to clear an island. Haley, on the other hand, has two special ships, the Cutter and the Gunship. Uh, both of them do their own kind of thing 
but they add extra ships for her to have on the board, one of which is a strong combat ship, and the other one, I don't remember what the other one does, do you? The cutter with the claw? Yes, uh, wherever the cutter with the claw is, my comrades are worth double their strength in. Yes, they're worth extra strength on that island. So Haley has ways to take very few comrades, which normally wouldn't be a target for my bombard action, and make them something I need to consider using my action for, which feels dumb because there's also a stack of six on this other island that really need to go before she spreads them out. So they did a good job of making the actions really interact with each other, focus on each other, and be like a thwart to each other. A thwart? That feels weird. I feel like I'm saying that badly. Those actions can thwart your opponent's objectives, and they're built to be that way. And I did a good job at kicking your butt. She did. She did a good job at kicking my butt. So I really liked that. Uh, One thing that I was not the most keen on, and I told Haley this after the fact, which is rolling for combat. It's a modified roll for combat. You have, essentially, if your boat goes into the space of your opponents and you have cannons loaded or they have cannons loaded, combat is going to happen, a battle. And the way the battle happens is you roll a die. And that die, whoever has the highest rolled value, is going to be the winner. The way you can modify it is if you have your cannons loaded, which for the Bluefin Squadron is either a five or six die was placed in the cannon slots. Uh, You have two. Or for the Mollusk Union, any die value placed in a slot. That die can be lowered down to one. And the amount that you have lowered it is a bonus to your combat roll, your battle roll. So there was turns where I would have the die and a little combat and I would use it and say, okay, I'm, ro- I'm adding this combat. Haley goes, well, I'm going to add this combat and this combat. And then I roll the die and get like a four and she rolls and gets like a 12. Well, that's no fun. Like th- there's, there's no competition there when you have a card that just tells you, you basically that you win. And I got really frustrated with it in the moment. And I was like, it's fine. I'll just have to focus on preparing my cannons. But that's something that's frustrating for me. And that's because I don't like dice rolling with combat unless it's presented a certain way. Uh, the way I compared it was playing War of the Ring. It's like, oh, you succeed if it's a five or higher. Okay, well, now there's a goal. If I roll badly, it's just bad, whatever, that's fine. But it's, there's something about rolling two people rolling dice and comparing the values potentially with modifiers that just feels... I don't know. Frustrating, I guess. It just it feels like it can be lopsided if you get a bad roll three or four times in a roll in in a roll in a row, then it feels shitty. And that's just me. That's something I don't like, which is that's part of the reason I don't play games that have a lot of dice roll combat because if I roll poorly three four times or if I roll really well three to four times, it starts to not be as fun if you don't feel like you have a constant chance. Well, and it also takes away some of the agency too. You don't feel like you have as much strategy in the battle as you would in other games. Because, yeah. like, yes, you can make sure your cannons are loaded. Because, like, one, one of the things that I did whenever, whenever I was the first player, I would try to attack first. Because if I'm first player, then Delton hasn't had time to load his cannons first. Because I knew whenever he loaded his cannons, I didn't have as much of a chance. Because I had to divvy my resources up into other areas because he had more actions than I did in a turn. And so I understand your frustration because whenever you're going dice against dice... You know, even if you have modifications, even if you have, you know, cards you can play to beef up your dice, it's still frustrating because you don't have the agency over your turn. And I think that's it. And even though I have one extra die, you had cards that could buff your, like, my extra die just means I have one extra turn that I get one action. But your cards were diceless actions in the middle of your turn, and you could use as many as you had in hand, which you get two in the beginning and you draw two at the end of every round, I think. And so that you could build them up if you wanted. But so that was one thing that I wasn't a big fan of was the dice action or dice combat. I think that it's fine uh, because something I was a fan of in general, which me and Haley both, I think, mirrored this uh, this sentiment is that I was surprised by the strategic depth in this game because it, it was the whole time. It's like, OK, if I do this action, I move here. I can place a person here. And then if I do my other action here. I can move around my patrols, and then at the end of my turn, if I pull these two up, when that one's moved there, I can put a stronghold on that island. And then Haley goes, and then it goes back to me. I'm like, okay, well, she did this. Well, I think if I do this action, and then the, and it really, there's so many little things and ways to approach it, and sometimes the best option, instead of trying to capture a point, 
just explore, flip a new tile, and you immediately are going to be the first person there, and that can give you a matching point going into the scoring of the end of the round. So it's pretty interesting. Uh, I just I, I feel like that there was good strategy, good depth to the play. The combat's really my big thing that I wasn't the biggest fan of, but I liked pretty much everything else. Absolutely, and I think that I would like to play the uh, smuggler version because I, I do think that I would like that. Yeah. I think that doing the pick up and deliver would be nice because the pick up and deliver is just a, I got to see if I can do my own solitaire thing better than you versus me and you are directly fighting. So I could see this being taken as a mean game feeling at times. I killed 50 sharks. You killed a lot of sharks and I killed a lot of comrades, I guess. Too I don't know. Soon. But uh, no, but I really did enjoy the game. I think it's definitely fun. Uh, the box size is pretty good, too. I, I pointed that out to Haley, that it's not a full-size box. It's also a little thinner. It reminds Haley of the 3M series bookshelf games, like Mr. President and the original Acquire and stuff like that. But it's a fun game. I really like it. I recommend checking it out. I've enjoyed a, pretty much everything I've played from later so far, I think. Uh, and this is just one that'll definitely stay on the shelf, I think. Arr. I've also said, I think, a whole lot, which is fine. But Therefore, you am? Sure. Therefore, I are. Therefore, ah. therefore, therefore, I am. Therefore, I are. I are. Anyway, one of the things with this game, Haley definitely beat me by, it was only like five points in the end because I had a good final turn. But at the same time, I kind of wish I just would have given up the turn before. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the topic for today is going to be talking about conceding. Concessions. Yes, because in Ahoy, and this is only the second game that has this, even though this one presents it differently that I can know of, or that I can know of, I can't talk tonight apparently, that I know of is Ahoy actually has an official rule, you may concede the game. Yes. In a two-player game. In a two-player game, you may concede the game, which I would take means an automatic lose, right? Yes. But according to Ahoy, why would somebody want to concede the game, Delt? Does it give an explanation? With two players, the winner might be clear before the game ends. Conceding is totally okay. Because, like in our game, before the final round, I looked at the board, we added up points, did all that stuff, and I said, I can't win. It's impossible. It was impossible with only five actions for me to be able to undo enough of what you were doing for me to then turn around and make enough points to surpass you. So I knew it, and I wanted to concede, but I wanted to play the game out for the sheer fact of we're doing a review, and I didn't want to end on a concession. I wanted to see, well, maybe I can get, like, see how far I could get, basically. But, yes, it allows in a two-player game that if you just can tell that you're not going to win, you can concede the game. That's just fine. And there are only two other games that we could think of off the top of our heads and our sleepy brains. One. No, I have another one. Okay. What was one that you have, Delty? So the one that I have, uh, it's a little different in, in the way you can see, but it is Air, Land, and Sea. We've talked about it here on the podcast. Uh, Air, Land, and Sea, you have different rounds. Each round, depending on who wins, you get a number of points. And once you get so many points, then the game's over. But if you have a bad hand of cards or... If you play a few things and your opponents just got really good cards, you can concede that round. They get less points. Depend so essentially depends on how many cards you have in hand. If you have left less cards in hand, they get more points as it goes. And once there are no cards left, that's when they get max points. So you can concede a round. They get less points for winning that, and you can move to the next one, which is a strategic thing that's worth doing. What was your option? Uh, I have poker or really any of those betting card games. You can yeah, fold. You can fold. Yeah. yeah. That's true. That's a good point. And so when it comes to making concessions in games, there's not really a lot of games that we could think of, at least, that have concessions as part of the rules that are of acceptable play. Because I think oftentimes we think of conceding or concessions as like rage quitting. Either rage quitting or just quitting, which something to point out here is whenever we are playing with either new people or, you know, someone comes over and they're not used to games or if it's a game that has a sensitive topic involved or is is got something like that, right? We tell everybody, 
if you're not enjoying the game, we don't have to keep playing. Like, we want everyone to have a good time. We want them to be having fun, enjoying it. And if someone's just getting mad or is upset uh, for whatever reason of the gameplay, or if something within the theming or the artwork is uncomfortable, that doesn't have to stay around. And that is absolutely fine. So that's not really conceding there. That is more of a, I guess, half of that. It kind of of depends. But anyway, that's similar but kind of different in my eyes. But yeah, conceding would be like, you know, just, I don't know, Haley's whipping my ass at a game and something makes me really mad. And I just say, I'm done. We're not playing anymore. That's rage quitting. Yeah. More, I would say more than conceding. Correct? I would think so. I think for me, because I was trying to think before this episode, because we were going to explore, you know, what's the difference between consent, making a concession and rage quitting is. And I think for me, the difference is like the element of respect for the game and respect for the other players. Explain. So you can uh, rage quit, whereas your feelings kind of get in the way of things. You're not having a great time. And rage quitting might be something like, I'm going to quit because you're winning and I'm not having a good time, or this isn't fair, or you kind of make a spectacle of it. Whereas concessions, I more see as, okay, you're you're going to win this game. I respect that you're going to win this game. Uh, let's move on to something else Yeah, for me. And now where that line is, I mean, that's kind of hard to say. You know, one person's concessions might be another person's rage quitting. But for you, Delt, what do you kind of look for maybe in what a concession versus rage quitting might be? I think that concession comes down to it's just obvious I can't win. So there's no point in playing another 20, 30 minutes when it's like it. it, And I think part of that, here's the hard part. Saying something is obvious that you can't win. For me, if it's obvious and it's definitely a thing, that means it is mathematically impossible, right? Last night when we played Ahoy or yesterday or whenever, when we played Ahoy and that that second, the, I was like, you're going to win next round. You need two points. I need nine points to surpass you. If you gain nothing this final round, counting on the board, you were definitely gaining at least eight points on top of those nine points. Even if I take six of those away, you're still going to gain two more points, which puts you one ahead. So mathematically, it was impossible for me to beat you. And it wasn't that I was mad. It wasn't that I was frustrated or anything like that. It was just, there's no way I can win. I shouldn't make us sit here another 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it took for us to do that last round, because I can tell the game's over. I've had fun, but you have beat me. You bested me. You won the game. And so, but I think the difference there is that is me saying it's impossible for me to win. There's no point in us playing it out because you've done better than me and I'm acknowledging it. But if I had done one of those dice rolls in a battle and you just smoked me again and I go, all right, I'm done, you win. I I think, like you said, it's that respect for the players and the game. It's saying, I acknowledge that you've done better than me rather than I'm mad, I don't want to keep playing. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Yeah. And I I think with concessions, too, it's also you don't have to make a concession just because the other person is winning. Like, if I see Delton is completely smoking me, he is going to win this game. For me, like, I I don't like making concessions. I don't like conceding. Not because I'm like, oh, I'm going to beat you. But for me, and this is my own personal thing, maybe this is problematic for some games, maybe it's not. I like to see how high of a score I can get. So if we were playing this games in the the turntables were turned, then I probably would not concede unless it was making it challenging for everyone. So let's say, I mean, we've all had those games where, especially I feel like the the games that you first introduced me to in like 2011, 2012, where you're playing and people get kicked out of the game and then it comes to like the last two people and you're just going and you're going and you're going and you're going and you're going. It's the worst. It's the worst. And so if it was something like that where I feel like, okay, I'm not going to win. Uh, all these other people are waiting on me that maybe I'd concede. But if it were playing, we were playing Ahoy and I was the one who was in last place, I'd and it was very clear that I wasn't going to win, I'd probably still keep playing, though, because I enjoy to keep playing. Maybe Delton will uh, love to see how much he can actually beat me by for real, but I feel like, for me, not not that I not that I want to uh, rub in a win or anything like that, but whenever I'm winning, I want to see how much I can win by. Whenever I'm losing, I want to see at least how much I can uh, get before I lose, before the game's over, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, that was my, I even said yesterday that like, I should probably concede now, but I'm going to play it because we're doing it for the podcast. I want to play a full game out. 
uh, even though I know I can't win. And so the way I framed it for myself was I want to see how close I can get to you. I want to see how many points I can take from you at the end, which helps me out, right? Um, so that was that was kind of the way that I approached it was I want to do as best as I can, even though I can't win the game any longer. Now, again, keep in mind, you can only concede with two players. And I think that that's a correct approach because I think the game, just by reading the rules, the smugglers don't really care. But I do think the game with more players, if somebody just dropped out, then the other player, uh, in this case, if I had just if we had three last night and I was bluefin and I dropped out, you're not playing the game against anybody. You literally just go, okay, well, I'll spread some comrades and then I just... I don't need to take any turns because I'm going to win. I'm just going to earn all the control points. So it wouldn't function as a game Mm -hmm. with concessions being in the three to four player game. And that makes sense. It does make sense. But I don't know. Concessions are just one of those weird things where it's not often that I just want to not play a game. Usually it's because I'm losing so badly that I'm like, there's no point in me playing. I'm not going to win. But also we could be conceding games like that at two players, but we don't partially because it's not in the rules and i think that's my own bias of i try to follow the rules and not do house rules which is a weird thing but that's something i do a lot well and for me so like like delton said earlier if we have new people playing with us or friends playing with us and they're just like nope not feeling this game straight up not having a good time bro or this is insensitive so on and so forth like dude we can we can drop the game no questions asked if you're uncomfortable this game's going off the table. But I think that for me, like, because Delton's typically the person I play games with the most. If it came to, you know, every time we're playing that he conceded, like, oh, you're going to you're going to win. Then that would start to become dull, too. Like, yeah, like I said, I don't want to just rub in someone's face and I'm winning. Ha 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 ha. I know that you knew you're going to lose two turns ago, but just let's go through so I can see how much I can beat you by. But still, that's part of the object of the games is to finish the game as well. Like if somebody is continuously conceding, uh, then that kind of takes away the fun of the game. We don't get to complete all of our objectives or actually finish it out too. And so, and again, I can't really say, you know, what's that line between uh, what's when is it good to concede versus not. But I just mean to say that just because you're losing doesn't mean you have to concede. And just because you're losing doesn't mean you're not having fun still. It doesn't mean you want to concede. That's very true. I think that I think that concessions work I think the concessions work best even if a game doesn't have as an actual rule in something that in the end is a zero sum game. If the if the game is not like point based, if it's not how better can I do if it's I either have won or I've lost. It's not that I've won and here's how many points I have. It's I win and you lose. That's a one and a negative one. And it makes a zero. Like, you know, zero. Binary. There's no sum. Yeah, basically. A lot of people point to, oh, shoot, I can't even give examples now. I'm too freaking tired. My brain hurts. Uh, but, I mean, most games, you know, there are a lot of games that you could, in the end, come down to that. I mean, any game, if you just pretend the points don't matter, there's a winner and a loser, and that's it. But it's easy to look at a game like, uh, let's think of something that makes sense here. Monopoly. No. <laughs> okay. Everyone can see that game. Yeah, I don't know. And now see now I have to do the thing that I try not to do and I feel like I do it every episode, which is Google the thing because I can't remember how this functions. And you're drinking a non-alcoholic beer, my friend. Uh zero sum game, a situation often cited in game theory in which one person's gain is equivalent to another's loss. So the net change in wealth or benefit is zero. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, do, 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 do. It says Twilight po- Struggle. It says chess or bridge or poker. Twilight Struggle. One loses, one does. It's a lot of the... Uh... Well, it, it depends on the, the, the scale is what I'm saying here. Because Twilight yeah. Struggle, you could say that because if I add a point, it's taking control away from you kind of, right? But there's all kinds of other stuff going on as well. So that's a good one. So not, not Twilight Struggle as a whole, but the back and forth point track. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were going to reference? Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. No, nope, you're uh, good. Yes, that exactly. Your gain is the other one's detriment, right? Detriment and benefit. That's the zero sum factor. If the game is only that, I think concession is fine because it's your benefit has made done so poorly for me. Yeah. I'm just like, all right, well, I think it's over. You've won. There's no point. But when it comes down to actually having points and situations and all this extra stuff starts getting tacked on, 
then concessions become more difficult to make without without just making because you don't like you said you want to see how many points you can get you want to see how well you can do you want to see how many people you can fit how many dudes on a can you fit on the map in a dudes on a map game like you have all these other goals you can obtain but when it's chess my piece beats your piece i do a benefit you do a bad thing yeah yeah because like when we played blood rage uh i remember i (laughs) whatever rule i got wrong (laughs) and we were like shit I, i don't know if we got anything wrong i was just really good i'm just kidding um but, like, when I played against you and Brian, like, it was clear early on that I was in the lead. Yeah. Whether or not it was due to messed up rules or whatnot. But uh, do if you guys would have quit halfway through the game, I would have been really disappointed. And, again, not because I want to be like, oh, I want to see how much I can beat you guys by, but because I sometimes I'm really proud of my strategy or I feel like I got, some, I got a game figured out early on. And there's a satisfaction in still completing the game. And I think it, there was a satisfaction for you guys to complete the game, too. I hope. Yeah, we finally got out of there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, concessions, conceding, it's all weird. It's something a lot of games don't have. I mean, like Magic the Gathering, you can concede in one of the games, right? That's completely fine. Uh, so there's things like that in card games where you can just, you can scoop and call it a day. But it's very different. And I enjoy the rule here in Ahoy because Ahoy is a game where somebody could definitely, if they're really good, they could just run away with it early and it's over. And then why continue playing if you're just getting beat down at that point? Um, So I I think that it does depend on the game, but I like it. It's a unique thing. I haven't seen it before so, like, explicitly detailed, or even though it's a very small thing, it states specifically you can concede in a two-player game. And I like that. I do too. So I think the object or the synopsis of this little spiel is, one, some games allow you to concede as part of the rules, Two, if you're going to concede, you know, make sure that you are respecting the other players in the game. And three, just because you are losing doesn't mean you have to concede. You can still have a lot of fun. And four, what else, Delty? I think it's it. Four, that's it. We did it. We did it. On to the question. Let's talk about concessions. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. So the question for this episode, so we can wrap it up, what is your favorite concession stand order? Because there are two different definitions of concession in the English language. Yes. For the topic, I wanted to call it concession. And I was like, but wait, is concession correct for concede? Uh, Do you make a concession for conceding? Or do you say I concede or I'm conceding? What's the... So I had to Google it. I'm concessed. And confirm that, yes, there is concession where you are conceding. If you concede, you have made a concession. But there is also concession, like concession stand. And I was like, well, why the hell is that a term? What is going on? I looked it up. Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Uh, I'm not going to read all of it. Essentially, they're both completely different definitions of the word, two full different uses. But the concession in concession stand denotes a usually exclusive right to undertake and profit by a specified activity. It said the phrase is first recorded in a classified ad seeking someone to work at a booth at the 1893 Chicago World's Fair. So I thought that was kind of cool, but that's where concession stand comes from. So the concession is you're, they're conceding the right to undertake and profit a specified activity. It's normally exclusive, but they're conceding that right to you. So kind of fascinating. Not something I expected to read. I, I didn't know what it was going to be for a definition of that usage of the word. But there you go. Same here. And also made me second guess myself, too, whenever Dalton said that. Yeah, when I was like, wait, but when you concede, is that making a concession? And I was like, I don't know, because there is terms where someone's like, oh, here, I'll make, I'll make a concession for you. And it makes sense. But at the same time, it was like, uh. <laughs> I'll make a concession. I will bend to your will or I will make you a frozen Dr. Pepper. Yes. Yeah, so speaking of. What is your favorite concession stand order, Haley? Frozen Dr. Pepper. There you go. Is it the kind where they get it just frosty enough? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So the softball stadium at Elk City, America, used to have frozen Dr. Pepper as one of their beverages. I have recently learned that they no longer have that beverage. It makes me very sad, especially because I'm going to be spending a whole probably 48 hours in Elk City, America, watching my little niece's softball tournament next weekend. But the frozen Dr. Pepper's, they are just synonymous with like my middle school years going to go watch my sister play softball at the stadium. They are delicious. I miss them so much, and I strive to find them one day in the concession stand. You realize we can get concession stand pickles, though. We can get concession stand pickles. Is that your favorite? No. 
I just like pickles. <laughs> it's <laughs> pure sodium. <laughs> oh, I remember when I worked at the concession stand at the theater, people would get half pickle juice, half Pepsi all the time. That sounds gross, but I always liked pickle juice. Just uh, our swimming pool back home, it was two bucks to get in the, into the pool for all day. And for 50 cents, you could get a cup of frozen pickle juice, like a popsicle. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And that was the best on a hot summer day as a kid. That was delicious. When you finally get up out of the like middle area because you're not good enough to go to the deep end, but you also don't want to be in the shallows because you're not a baby anymore. And then you get your freaking frozen pickle juice. and You're like, this is me. Yeah, it was great. That sounds wonderful. It was fun. Uh, anyway, my favorite concession stand order, I have two that are truly favorites, one of which I ordered a lot, the other one I made when I worked it. The one I ordered, freaking nachos and cheese. Hell yeah. That concession stand, con- con- I said that word, concession stand nacho cheese, you can buy it at Sam's in the gallon. Hell yeah, And you it's can. identical. You open that can, you dump it in a bowl, and you microwave it and get it hot, and then boom, you've got concession stand cheese at home. It's gross. It's not real cheese. It's full of all kinds of shit we probably shouldn't be eating. It's delicious, and I kind of miss it. Uh, so concession stand cheese and nachos. The other one is concession stand cheese on a hot dog. Fair. I yeah. Used, I used to get two of those and put concession stand cheese on them, and that was my meal when I worked at concession stand. Good little roller grill, roller grill R- weenie. Roller, no, we had boiled weenies. Oh, boiled weenies. Ooh. Yeah. That's how they do it in a lot of places. Not not Elk City American, man. We had a roller grill, and it was dope. I mean, like, if you go to, like, uh, what is it? Uh, the Hawks Red, Red's hot dog cart, the one in Oklahoma City? Mm-hmm. They're boiled dogs. Really? Yep. Like, it's just easy. It keeps them hot. It keeps them moist. You don't dry them out. Man, I guess we are living in mm-hmm. 2024. They're either boiled, or City. a lot of places will steam them as well. Good to know. It's a weird, weird information, and uh, uh, unnecessary for the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. To the Malthouse Games podcast, I want to give a big shout out to our Patreon patrons who are Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff. Thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon at the level in which you get a shout out. Thank you to everyone else who supports us on Patreon. If you want to be like them, head to patreon.com slash malthousegames to check us out and read about our stuff. You can always send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com if you think there's a game we should play, a topic we should talk about, a question to answer or if there's a beer or beverage you want us to find and tell you if we like it or hate it on the podcast. You can also always find us on social media at Malthouse Games, or for Haley, it's at... S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. Uh, I think that's going to wrap everything up. I'm going to edit this in the morning because I'm freaking tired, but hopefully you enjoyed our talk about conceding and ahoy. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. We're at 144. We're only... It's six episodes away from when we said we were going to change the formatting up a bit. Oh, gosh. And I don't know that I have any good ideas, but we're going to have to start thinking on it pretty quick. I have ideas. I don't know if they're good ideas, but I have ideas. Well, there you go. Well, thank you again for tuning in and listening this weekend. By the way, the day this releases is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Happy Mother's Day to all you pet moms out there and everything like that. Uh, We're going to go see our parents different ways, different functions, but we're doing that. Uh, We're going to have another two weeks, and hopefully we have some fun stories to tell you about Lakin playing softball, and we're going to have to record an episode before we go camping. I just hiccuped. To Palo Duro. Yes, so we're going to have to record that before we go. Ah, shoot, it's going to be busy. We'll see you guys next time. So until then, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye.